Hello and welcome back to There Will Be Spoilers, 100 Films, 100 Podcasts. I am of stage and screen, Matt Bazell. And I am also of stage and screen, Ethan Knight. And we're here for episode 16, number 85 on AFI's top 100 list of movies, A Night at the Opera. A Night at the Opera. should also mention this was uh, released in 1935. And so it is one of those black and white, fast-talking films. Black and white, fast-talking, hey, it's 1935. Hey, how you doing, chap? Hey, old sport, how you doing? Typically, I would join you in any kind of fast-talking <laughs> 1930s-esque voice-a-thon, but uh, my voice has departed as over my brief vacation, I had gotten sick. And so if my voice is really gravelly, I apologize. That's what you get for trying to take a vacation, Matt. Yeah, I should have known better. <laughs> Well, Ethan, I want to remind all of our viewers, our listeners rather, <laughs> that we still have our Patreon and we our numbers, though small, are growing and we are very appreciative of those who have decided to contribute $5 a month to our continued efforts to put out this list of films, but also our sort of non-canonical films. You have your favorites and currently I'm doing current films that are coming out and those come up for Patreon listeners only. They're exclusive bonus content. And so we're actually putting out an episode each and every week for the foreseeable future until the end of for time in perpetuity future. until we and die. <laughs> Until one of us invariably dies at the other's hands. Yes. Don't look too deep into that. And also, I mean, if you're not a Patreon supporter, you know what you're missing out on. It's a lot of me singing. There's been a lot of me singing. Not not good, but in the last... We definitely had episodes. to fade out your, your last singing episode. <laughs> so if, if Ethan's singing was going to deter you, just know we, we, we tone it down there at the end. It's like the cane when you're on, when you're on the stage and they use the cane to pull you off stage. That's what happened to me. Yeah, there's a button on my Audacity that I edit with, and it's a little cane button. And anytime I see any of Ethan's audio, I just I just cane him. Cane. So please check out our Patreon. It's patreon.com slash spoilerscast. What else should our listeners try out? Well, Matt, the month of March is Tripod Month, which essentially is this. You should find someone who you know that does not listen to podcasts and recommend them a podcast, any podcast. This one we would like you to recommend, but there are a plethora of other podcasts that they could listen to and that you could recommend. And so I'm going to make a recommendation. If you have not listened to The Bright Sessions, you should. It's excellent. It's kind of like X-Men meets Fraser Crane plus some time travel. It's really cool. It's great. It's a lot of fun. Check it out. It's a thoroughly confusing description. I'll <laughs> join this recommendation game, and I'll give you a less confusing one. It is Gimlet's Reply All. So they also have music produced and created by Breakmaster Cylinder. Yes, we share and that. It's in an excellent podcast, and I think the highest praise I can give it is that my wife also listens to it when we are on the road. So yeah, I, Reply All is probably my favorite podcast in general. So I think I've said that before. And if you're going to to do this, make sure you use the hashtag tripod on twitter hashtag t-r-y-p-o-d tripod and while you're there also give us a follow on twitter please we do. are at spoilers cast yes well ethan why don't we just move right along and get ourselves the plot synopsis of this here film all right now this is a disclaimer this plot synopsis sounds intensely complicated extremely extremely complicated and honestly dear listeners it is not at all complicated it just sounds like it. 
A Night at the Opera is the story of Otis B. Driftwood's attempt to woo rich widow Mrs. Claypool by investing $200,000 of her money into the New York Opera Company and thereby bring her into society. Concurrently, Ricardo Baroni and Rosa Castaldi, I don't, these last names don't, the names really don't even matter, but Ricardo and Rosa, a pair of young lovers and opera singers, are attempting to get their big break. Rosa is also being courted by Rodolfo Laspari, the greatest tenor in the world, who Driftwood, Claypool, and the opera manager Gottlieb want to hire with Mrs. Claypool's $200,000. However, Laspari is a jerk, and he often physically harms his dresser, the mute Tommaso. Ricardo's friend Fiorello begins to act as his manager and attempts to book him with Driftwood. Because Laspari gets signed to the company, he gets to choose a female sidekick to go with him to New York City. So he chooses Rosa, of course, and she's forced to leave behind Ricardo. Tommaso, Fiorello, and Ricardo decide to stow away on the ocean liner, taking everybody back to New York, where Driftwood is still attempting to woo Mrs. Claypool rather unsuccessfully. While on the ship, Various antics ensue, and the three stowaways are discovered. However, they assume the identities of three bearded aviators, but then again are discovered once they reach New York to be the stowaways. Ricardo reunites himself with Rosa and encounters Laspari, who he punches after a little altercation. Because of his assault, Driftwood and Rosa get fired from the company. The motley crew then decides to sabotage the opening night of, and watch me butcher this, Il Travatore. They finally abduct Laspari and negotiate to have Rosa and Ricardo replace him during the show, which the audience loves. The audience then turns on Laspari when he escapes his abductors, prompting Gottlieb to try to sign the young lovers. And both Driftwood and Fiorello return to their comic attempts to negotiate a contract, an earlier shtick in the movie. The end. Yeah, so one thing, extra context I want to give to our audience is that this is a Marx Brothers film. Yeah, how did I miss that? <laughs> yeah, there are five Marx Brothers, but this one only has three in it, and they're the three oldest, the three most popular, Chico, Harpo, and Groucho Marx. Yes, and let me say this. So Otis B. Driftwood is Groucho Marx. The mute who gets beat up a lot is Harpo, and the manager guy is Chico. And we, I will probably refer to them just by their real names because no one – who says these names in this? The names don't matter. <laughs> So I guess it should be mentioned that the Marx Brothers are re- were really popular for this kind of comedy, yeah. right? This vaudeville comedy. It's also slapstick. Uh, it seems to be apropos of nothing in a lot of instances. Yes. And so the intricate plot synopsis Ethan just gave is a result of opportunities for the brothers to get into other shenanigans, basically. Yeah. And actually, this I read is... One, it's one of the first Marx Brothers films that really had any semblance of a plot. And again, it sounds really complicated here, but it's very simplified in the film. It is not at all complicated because the plot really doesn't matter. It just strings the. It just keeps placing the brothers in situations to do their thing. They each have a shtick. And so, what I think I want to do is kind of upset our balance here and give us our pivotal scene first. Because when I first started watching this film, I was not on board <laughs> until I got to what I take to be a pivotal scene, which, as you actually closed with it in your plot synopsis, that contractual finagling at the beginning, mm-hmm. it's when they did that long extended scene. We'll just play a clip of it from that. It's when they did that. I was like, oh, okay, this is kind of funny, and I'm actually on board with this. 
So we'll go ahead and play it for you now, and then we'll talk about it after. Here we go. Now, uh, here are the contracts. You just put his name at the top, and, uh, and you sign at the bottom. There's no need of you reading that, because these are duplicates. Yeah, it's a duplicate, then. Duplicates, eh? I say they're, they're duplicates. Oh, sure, it's a duplicate, Sam. Don't you know what duplicates are? Sure, there's five kids up in Canada. Well, I wouldn't know about that. I haven't been in Canada in years. Well, go ahead and read it. What does it say? Well, go on and read it. All right, you read it, go on. All right, I'll read it to you. Can you hear? I haven't heard anything yet. Did you say anything? Well, I haven't said anything worth hearing. Well, that's why I didn't hear anything. Well, that's why I didn't say anything. Can you read? I can read, but I can't see it. I don't seem to have it in focus here. My arms were a little longer, I could read it. You haven't got a baboon in your pocket, have you? Here, here, here we are, now I've got it. <clears throat> now pay particular attention to this first clause because it's most important. <clears throat> it says the, uh, the party of the first part should be known in this contract as the party of the first part. How do you like that? That's pretty neat, eh? No, it's no good. What's the matter with it? I don't know, let's hear it again. Says the, uh, the party of the first part should be known in this contract as the party of the first part. Yeah, it sounds a little better this time. Well, it grows on you. Would you like to hear it once more? Uh, just the first part. What do you mean, the, the party of the first part? No, the first part of the party of the first part. All right, it says the, uh, the first part of the party of the first part should be known in this contract as the first part of the party of the first part should be known in this contract. Look, why should we quarrel about a thing like this? We'll take it right out, eh? Yeah, <laughs> it's a too long anyhow. Now what have we got left? Well, I got about a foot and a half. Now it says the, the party of the second part should be known in this contract as the party of the second part. Well, I don't know about that. Now what's the matter? I don't like it the second party either. Well, you should have come to the first party. We didn't get home till around four in the morning. I was blind for three days. Hey, look. Why can't the first part of the second party be the second part of the first party? Then you've got something. Well, look, uh, rather than go through all that again, what do you say? Fine. Now, uh, now I've got something here you're bound to like. You'd be crazy about it. No, I don't like it. You don't like what? Whatever it is, I don't like it. Well, don't let's break up an old friendship over a thing like that. Ready? Okay. Now, the next part I don't think you're going to like. Well, your word's good enough for me. Now then, is my word good enough for you? I should say not. Well, that takes out two more clauses. Now, the party of the eighth part... No, no? that's no good, no. The party of the ninth... No, part, that's no. no good, too. Hey, how is it my contract is skinnier than yours? Well, I don't know. You must have been out on the tail last night. But anyhow, we're all set now, aren't we? Oh, sure. Now, just, uh, just you put your name right down there, and then the deal is, is uh, legal. I forgot to tell you, I can't write. No, well, that's all right. There's no ink in the pen anyhow. But listen, it's a contract, isn't it? Oh, sure. We've got a contract, no, no matter how small it is. Hey, wait, wait. 
What does this say here, this thing here? Oh, that? Oh, that's the usual clause. That's in every contract. That just says, uh, it says, uh, if any of the parties participating in this contract are shown not to be in their right mind, the entire agreement is automatically nullified. Well, I don't know. It's all right. That, that's in every contract. That's, that's what they call a sanity clause. <laughs> you can't fool me. There ain't no sanity clause. Okay, so they're reading the contract. It's Groucho and Chico, right? Yes. And they're reading the contract, and they're just ripping it up, and they're just, you know, back and forth. They're just playing off each other. It's funny. It's genuinely funny. It is. It's it's something that we're used to now, maybe, but it, it definitely seemed novel, and it still seems novel in the film, actually, the way it's, it comes across. And I picked this pivotal scene over the, the second, or it's probably not even at least notable, but... When they do the musical on the boat, when they're talking, oh, yeah. and they just break down into like 15 minutes of oh my God, yeah. them just playing piano and harp. Yes. I had no idea what that was for. It was impressive. Yeah. But it had no reason to be in the film. This is the sense that I get for this entire film, is that it's really just a setup to give the Marx Brothers the opportunity to do their thing. Groucho Marx is like, ah, he's got his witty quips and he's always like, ah, he's making fun of people. And then Chico is always, he's like a little con man kind of guy. And what's his name? Harpo is like a clown. Right. And they're good at it and it's entertaining, but it just is sort of there. So Ethan, why don't you give us some theme from this film and we'll try to dig into it a little bit. Yeah, this was a toughie to try to figure this out because it is a strange film. It's it's very different than most of the things we've seen so far. One of the things I'd like to maybe try to tease out is this idea of creating a dichotomy or maybe trying to break down the dichotomy of high art versus low art. Because this is a night at the opera, right? And opera is like the pinnacle you know or it's supposed to be right the sort of pinnacle of good art uh good performance but it's intersposed with this like slapstick vaudeville insanity that the brothers are constantly doing right and i like this idea and it's not something i had maybe honed in on until you mentioned it high art versus low art because you know towards the end is the climax of the of the film all the brothers doing different things and two of them are in the orchestra pit and they are musically competent as they've proved earlier but instead are playing catch and inserting take me out to the ball game yeah. in people's sheet music so it's just disruption of this high art reality mm-hmm. and i think i want to augment what you said about high art versus low art because you mentioned insanity and i think insanity plays a lot into this film mm-hmm. because these three figures, right, the Marx Brothers, and I guess Ricardo, but he's kind of just along for the ride, and he yeah. can sing. They bend reality. We talk about reality-bending characters a lot in these films, mm-hmm. but these three really do create a new reality, one that is divested of what we tend to think of the sane, and as a result, everyone surrounding them ends up thinking they are crazy. They themselves are crazy right? because they are not able to elicit cause and effect the same way they would in a a normal circumstance Mm -hmm. i think the the scene that best exemplifies this is the plainclothes police officer Mm -hmm. when he goes up to groucho's hotel room and they're moving all the beds around because they're trying to find the three who were you know dressed up as aviators and they're you know hiding around they're doing the run about the room kind of shtick yeah and eventually the cop says i know i'm going crazy and so (laughs) they they sort of trick sane rational people 
into insanity, which mm-hmm. is kind of the culmination of the film where the young lovers get to be the stars of the opera through mm-hmm. the antics of insanity. So, but that also might be seen as a restoration of order at the end because it seems like they were better singers than the Lost Pari, who is always an ass, but he's also yeah. apparently maybe not the best, right? Ricardo, it looks like to be the best tenor. So mm-hmm. it kind of plays against itself in that sense, but I think it is. There's this bending of the sane into the insane, and then the insane also restores the order at the end. So right. it's kind of an interesting dichotomy. And I think that sort of hits that other, the, the sort of second thing I wanted to bring up is this idea of disorder versus order, anarchy versus rules, which we see happening throughout as well. Right. The rules just don't make sense. And like even the space of, of certain scenes doesn't quite make sense. For example, the probably the most famous scene in this whole film is the stateroom scene where Groucho Marx finds out that his stateroom on the ship is itty-bitty. It's barely a room. It's like a closet, basically. Yeah, it's like a closet with a bed in it. And his trunk is so big that there, he can't even get in the door with the trunk in the room. And then, of course, the his the other Marx Brothers are in the trunk. And people keep coming in and in and into the room. By the end, there's like 15 people in this room. There's the engineer, the engineer's assistant, the mopper, the, the manicurist, yeah. the cooks. There's a bunch the of lady you know, on the phone. Just, it's insane. I think I counted like 13 people in the room by yeah. the end of the scene. Yeah. And then they, uh, you know... The, uh, Mrs. Whatever her name is, the the rich widow shows up because right. she's coming to his room because he's trying to get her in bed, and she opens the door and everybody comes tumbling out, right? Because it, right. it just doesn't. And how did, how does that happen? How do you really fit people in this room? But they're just coming in and coming in and coming in. And that scene doesn't really have a place in the film. There's no, no reason for it. It's just fucking there. Like, it doesn't do anything. Just for Grouch to make you know wisecracks about people coming in, right? And the other brothers to do their thing also in the room it's not that's the reason it's there is just give space it's almost like a skit right they're almost doing mm-hmm. sketch comedy in film form yeah well ethan what do you say to us just reading our theses now yeah let's do it and trying to impose some order on this disorder do you want mine yes please go ahead well i would say that this film has no thesis my thesis is this this film has no thesis because it's simply a vehicle for well, maybe maybe this is too reductionist, but I don't care. It's a vehicle for slapstick humor, wit, spectacle, so on and so on. It's set up to be almost like a series of skits. It's almost like a variety show or a vaudeville show. It's it's you go to see the Marx Brothers, and this the plot is just sort of there to give them a reason to keep doing ridiculous things, and that reason in and of itself is tenuous. So it it's not it's not a there is no thesis. The thesis is there is none. Right. I think externally you're correct, right, in that the creation of this film is that the Marx Brothers wants, want to do more zany stuff on screen. Yeah. Okay. Here is a shell plot to throw them in. Yeah. But I think internally it has its own thesis, and I may be reaching for this one, but I think it kind of holds. Reality as we know it is just our chosen form of insanity. Mm-hmm. Right. So maybe reality itself or the world itself is chaos and disorder insanity in other words Mm -hmm. and we choose to apply order to it to give it a certain set of rules yeah we imply or we apply cause and effect and it doesn't necessarily hold in actuality but it does appear on the surface to do so so 
If that's the case, what the Marx Brothers are doing within this film is applying their new set of rules, different causality, and what you're getting is a whole different reality. And those yeah. who can't handle the fact that reality is maybe multiplicitous or multifarious, mm -hmm. they kind of go a little crazy, right? Yeah. The cop, Laspari. But those who are able to accept that the world is chaos might be able to find meaning in any formulation, anything we choose to adhere to what we call reality. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of with you. Because, the yeah, the people that just buy into the insanity of the Marx Brothers come out in the end. The lovers, right? Right. Ricardo, he keeps up with them and it's no problem. But people like the the manager of the opera, right? Yeah. He's the one who takes a serious reversal at the end even to the point where it seems like he's going to go off the deep end yeah he does well he does kind of go off the deep end right like right but then he's managing contracts there at the end well so yeah he kind of gets a return but that last little bit that last little two minutes it was actually the last two minutes of the film that two minute turn kind of restores a lot of the imbalance due to mm -hmm. this sort of disordered insanity you have to plumb the depths of of insanity so that you can come out on top that's what i've been trying to do for the last five years right i know <laughs> I you know before we before we get to our three questions I do want to I mean did you like this film Matt you said you weren't on board yeah I think I did I wasn't on board until I saw that first contract dispute scene and I said this is kind of funny and then it was much easier to watch a lot of these films do take a few pauses for me I'll pause and get up and walk around mm -hmm. this one I think I actually ended up watching all the way through I was able to keep my attention long enough. Just with the sheer zaniness of it that I was like, okay, I'm kind of with it, right? Yeah. I don't have anything maybe complex to say about the film, but I think there's a lot of just entertainment value to it. And I think Groucho Marx is funny as hell. Yeah. I was on board from the moment when he introduces Gottlieb at the very beginning to the widow and he's got that shtick where he just keeps introducing them he's like mr gottlieb this is mrs claypool mr gottlieb or mrs claypool this is mr god he's going on and on and on and on and i was like he's re they're really gonna do this for a minute and a half <laughs> and i want to talk more about groucho but i think we should do it in the context of our three questions yeah let's do it so ethan do we care about this film yeah i think so uh, because it is a kind of humor that you see all the time today. This, I mean, I feel like this. There's no way that this sort of the Marx Brothers didn't influence so much to come after. And so to see this in its pure, unadulterated form is great. And it's funny. I mean, you can just see where the beginning of this kind. And plus, and maybe it's just because I really dig surreal, Dadaist humor that this kind of gestures towards or is. I think, yeah, I think the strength of this film is Groucho Marx, and I think contemporary audiences would agree as well, because he did seem to do the most solo stuff um, apart from the brothers, and yeah. I see more references to Groucho Marx than anyone else. Yeah, uh, He's, of, he is a cultural theory. touchstone, and so it's worth it to see this, to see him, and not right. some sort of, you know, I don't know, imitated version of him. Yeah, and I agree. So actually, let's move on to our second question. What do we owe this film? Because I think we owe a lot to that Groucho Marx character, right? Yeah. The um, sort of, not necessarily dejected, but sort of away from the sort of straight-laced characters of the film. Yeah, he's Just a cynic. Crack and wise. Yeah, the cynic, right? And we know this character. It's Alan Alda's character in mash right how many times mm -hmm. does he do literal groucho marx impersonations yeah on that show and that archetype that 
comedic archetype has persisted in today. So you can watch Groucho Marx in this film and listen to his jokes and say, that's actually pretty funny. Yeah, the kind of sort of fourth wall breaking he does or the, the sort of self-referential things, is, it's it happens all the time. And it still feels novel in films today and in television and things like that today. So we, yeah. And like all of Looney Tunes, there's so much that clearly comes from this lineage. Cartoons in general. So, yeah. Bugs Bunny is a very Groucho Marx character. Yeah. Absolutely. So, absolutely, he sort of forms an archetype. And now you can't understate how important that is to film. And I know that these brothers are put on... AFI's list for top comedies. They're within the top 12, I think, twice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's no surprise this film was on the list. At first, I, I couldn't figure out why, but then I realized it's really the comedic stylings of the brothers that still pers- persist today, and more so with Groucho Marx than kind of the slapstick vaudevillian humor of the others. But I really think it has staying power, and it created a new mold for a lot of comedy in film. Yeah, and it's got such a, an unassuming title, I didn't realize it was a, a Marx Brothers film until I like went online to get it, right? And, and the you know the titles came up. And I was like, oh, it's the Marx Brothers because the t- I, that I've been dreading watching this one because you know it's 1935. Yeah, you see a 1935 title called Night at the Opera and know nothing about it. You're like, oh, don't not looking forward to this one. Yeah, Night at the Opera sounded like it was going to be awful, uh, and I think our listeners may remember me groaning a little bit about it, uh, not realizing that it was a Marx Brothers film, and it was, it was funny as hell. I was laughing well, you, out loud. you groan about pretty much everything, so... I yeah, think. I do. I know. It's all my... It's my whole mode is just one big groan. I have to edit out all the eye rolls you do. <laughs> yeah. Well, Ethan, let's wrap it up with our final question, and does this film hold up? My answer is yes. I laughed my ass off at this film. And not only did I laugh... Well... The opera portions I was much less interested in, but the Marx Brothers stuff was great. Well, I think this movie holds up with Groucho Marx taking center stage. I think when Harper and Chico are doing their stuff, it's good. But, you know, the the mute slapstick vaudevillian stuff, actually, I don't think that holds up so well. Really? It's, yeah, I don't, I don't really... I don't think it plays well with... Maybe it's just me, but I don't think it, it really holds the attention like the comedy of Groucho Marx and the opera as well. It's there and it stays too long. Yeah. The opera, the, the several scenes of, of just sort of, it's almost like a musical Full-length songs. Yeah. It just, that feels very out of place, but I think maybe it goes back to that idea of trying to craft a narrative where high and low art clash, which is why actually I was much more interested in the little scene on the boat with Harpo and Chico when they're playing the the harp and the piano because that is excellent. Right. No, that 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 enthralled me. But with Ricardo singing before that, I was like, yeah, yeah, whatever. You're dancing around. That's fine. You do your thing. I'm just going to sit here patiently. But then when they started doing the piano and harp stuff, I was like, okay, Mm -hmm. I'm actually seeing some technical prowess. And that's actually really interesting, not only to hear, but to watch them. Yes. It's definitely a very visual thing. And I guess what it comes down to is that in a film called A Night at the Opera, I guess you have to put in some opera. (laughs) Yeah, but I think more modern films have realized no one wants to sit through an entire song. Let's do a chorus and a verse, and then let's move on. Or, you know, yeah. a verse and two choruses. 
Yeah, so in that respect, it... it... I also liked a few things cinematographically. Yeah. In that, with the sped-up shots, uh, usually of Chico doing some antics, or when everyone spilled out of the... Or no, it was Harpo doing antics, right? Mm -hmm. Usually Harpo. Yeah. And then everyone spilling out of the room was also a sped-up shot. And I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. That actually plays real well. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if this makes any sense, but it kind of reminded me of... Mad Max Fury Road when they do those weird giant yeah. sped up shots. Mm-hmm. I was like, I wonder if they had some of that inspiration in there somewhere. I'm not willing to say like, oh, there's a direct line from Mad Max Fury Road. And, well, I wouldn't be opera. surprised. And I mean, this comes right out of the lineage of Buster Keaton, right? Which is that same sort of like sped up, you know, it's the old timey slapstick, you know, sure. silent film stuff. Yeah, and absolutely. So, so I think you're not wrong in saying that, you know, this the that sort of thing that we see in Mad Max Fury Road where things feel sped up and sort of coked out, that it does, I mean, it has to do something with this. It has to, even in just some very small way. All in all, the film does hold up. There are some yeah. things that kind of drag it down, but ultimately it seems reasonable it's on this list. And we don't yeah. really speculate about positioning on this list. Right. Maybe we will once we start getting towards the final 50 because that's a much more contentious race we might think mm-hmm. but uh, yeah i think sure on the list fine movies you need to see this is in the lower end of the spectrum but it's worth a watch yeah and certainly a marx brothers film right would be worth yes a watch. and you'll be entertained it's funny it's not a waste of an hour and a half definitely are entertained so ethan why don't we wrap up we have next week one of your favorite films coming up on patreon only listeners for patrons of the arts it is 28 days later 28 days later ah it's one of my favorite movies in the whole world so if you want to hear us i don't know what do we do what do we call this discuss (laughs) destroy bitch (laughs) bitch wine if you want to hear us talk about 28 days later that's five dollars baby that's going to get you a good month's worth of extra content including that so check it out and we should mention that Ethan and I don't make any profit off this. As of yet, we are doing this just to cover costs and to be able to rent these films. We really want to share their stuff with you, and so adding the bonus content seemed like a great way to add value and not just be asking for handouts. Right, yeah. That's our gift back to all of you for helping us keep the lights on. And two weeks from then, back on our canonical list, AFI's Top 100, for free, free for all, we have Easy Rider. Easy Rider. I have not seen this one, Matt. I have not seen it, but it actually looks interesting, so I'm, I'm, I'm ready to check that one out. Yeah, this is one I feel like I should have seen, and I'm excited to watch it. It's got motorcycles. Yeah, it's, the, the list is definitely starting to seem like, oh, I've been meaning to watch this. Oh, I've been meaning mm-hmm. to see this. So it's getting more exciting. It's, it's certainly ratcheting up, and definitely our rundowns in the future will be ratcheting up as well. Yes. it's gonna Our, our rundowns are going to be like this film. yeah (laughs) sped up nonsense yep well with that i think we'll call it an episode i have been matt bazell and i as always am ethan knight and there will be spoilers there will be spoilers
There Will Be Spoilers is hosted by Matt Bazell and me, Ethan Knight. It's produced each week by Matt Bazell. Our artwork is by Becca Knight. You can find her on Twitter at Becca the Knight. Our great music was produced and created by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. You can check him out all over the internet. You can always find us on Twitter at SpoilersCast. And you can find us on Patreon if you would like to support us for only $5 a month. Also at Patreon.com slash SpoilersCast. Our email continues to be SpoilersCast at gmail.com. So send us some complaints hate mail and maybe a compliment or two remember please subscribe to us on soundcloud itunes or stitcher and we would really appreciate it if you would rate and review us on itunes it really helps thank you so much here's the first of the day fellas to old dh lawrence instead a cup of coffee and one toast no substitution what do you mean you don't have any tomatoes only what's on the menu you can have a number two a plain omelet it comes with cottage fries and rolls now i know what it comes with but it's not what i want well, i'll come back when you make up your mind wait a minute i have made up my mind i'd like a plain omelet no potatoes on the plate a cup of coffee and a side order of wheat toast I'm sorry, we don't have any side orders of toast. I'll give you an English muffin or a coffee roll. What do you mean you don't make side orders of toast? You make sandwiches, don't you? Would you like to talk to the manager? Hey, Mac. Shut up. You've got bread and a toaster of some kind? I don't make the rules. Okay, I'll make it as easy for you as I can. I'd like an omelet, plain, and a chicken salad sandwich on wheat toast. No mayonnaise, no butter, no lettuce, and a cup of coffee. For number two, chicken salad sand. Hold the butter, the lettuce, the mayonnaise, and a cup of coffee. Anything else? Yeah, now all you have to do is hold the chicken, bring me the toast, give me a check for the chicken salad sandwich, and you haven't broken any rules. You want me to hold the chicken, huh? I want you to hold it between your knees. <laughs> you see that sign, sir? Yes, you all have to leave. I'm not taking any more of your smartness and sarcasm. You see this sign? <laughs>